today, we're just going to get right into it because uh, there's a lot, okay? So this is kind of four months of revelation that I am going to be just giving you in 45 minutes. So we're going to do our best to stay on track as far as time goes. But yeah, this is the title today is Wired to Worship God Alone, Dethroning Our Idols. Aren't you glad you came today? Yes and amen. All right. Well, just like Eric said, um, this has been part of my journey, and you're going to hear about that um, as I get into the message. But the Lord put this, uh, started working this message out in me back in early October. So this has just been uh, months and months of me pressing into this revelation, working it out in my life. And so anyway, that's what today is going to be. Last week, set me, I knew that I was going to share it at some point. I knew that God was going to release me to share this message at some point. Last week, Eric and Karen's message couldn't have set this up better. So it was such a good message last week. And so it just leads right into what we're going to talk about today. So we are going to just start by recapping uh, last week's message. And um, what they shared with us is that constant and unresolved fear and worry can cause us to go into our fight, flight, freeze, or fawn state. Do you guys remember that? Remember them talking about that? Okay, we're going to get more in-depth into this in a little bit. Um, The next thing is constant fear and worry reveal our mistrust in God, and it shows us how big we believe our God is. They share that constant worry, constant fear and worry cause us to partner with control. And it drives us to bow down and seek help or comfort from other things rather than God, which this is idol worship, which is what we're going to talk about today. And then they talked about how we need to switch kingdoms. Instead of bowing down to the wrong kingdom, we need to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? All right, so let's just get into what is idol worship. You know, the Strong's Concordance, it defines idol worship as a carved, graven image It describes, I'm sorry, defines idol as a carved graven image of a man or an animal. And so idolatry or idol worship is the worship of that thing, okay? um, It's an object of reverence or means of divination. So there is a demonic influence behind these idols. And we're not even going to touch that subject today, but just know that it's there. Because there's so much about idol worship. We could probably preach on this 12 times and we wouldn't cover the entire subject of it. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they added their idol worship to their Yahweh worship. Okay, Yahweh was their primary God. He was their God. But they would get deceived into kind of mingling and mixing with some of the idols of the people around them. And they would end up worshiping Baal or Asherah or other other gods. So for today, simply put, idols are things that we worship other than God. Okay, Um, what do we spend our money on? What do we spend our time on, our emotional and physical energy on? And, um, and where do we get our value from? And so now, please don't hear me say that anything other than God, you know, is bad. I'm just, it's, it's when things are out of balance, is when um, we have given ourselves up over to something, and we're going to get more into those details later. But just understand, it's when something comes in front of the Lord, So there are obvious idols, right? These graven images that we worship. 
17 times a day, right? There are obvious idols, TV, phones, things like that, that we can totally make idols. They don't always have to be. They're not always, but I'm just saying we put them in front of the Lord. We pick up, pick up your phone and look at Facebook before you spend time with the Lord. Here's your sign. That might be your idol, okay? Um, but today, typically, idols today are more belief systems, thoughts, patterns, str- um, these strongholds in our mind that we uh, build, and it's, it's a belief system, okay? That's usually what idol- idols are today. We're going to get more into that. But there's good news even for that, which is 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I love the Passion Translation of this. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow down in obedience to the anointed one. Isn't that good? That's so good. So God, in the, um, in the Old Testament, God compares idol worship to adultery. Okay, so if any of you, you have ever been cheated on, right, you understand that comparison. It's, that is a, um, it's a serious offense, right? It's not an oopsie. It's not just like, oh, bummer, I've got some idols. This is really something that God takes seriously, and we should too. And here's the thing is that idol worship is so bad for us. Like it is so bad for us. It is physically, emotionally, and relationally harmful to us. So we're going to learn today about how God designed us and how he wired us to worship him and him alone. Okay. And we're going to be reading out of 1 Samuel 7 today. That is the scripture that the Lord gave me. I was crying out to him back in, I think it was late September, early October. I was crying out to him for a word. I was in a season in my life where, you know, I was going through transition. Um, I had allowed my, um, I don't know, stress and, and worry and things like that to get to me. It kind of broke down my nervous system a little bit again. I was going through one of those trials. My health was in trouble, and I really needed a word from the Lord. And so I sat down and I said, Lord, I need, I need to hear from you, okay? I need to hear from you. Give me something, a place to go in your word where you're going to give me a word, like a right now word for me. And that word was um, 1 Samuel 7. So um, it was a promise to me. It was a prophetic word. It was direction. It was instruction. So that's the way, that's how I understood it when I was reading it. So let me give you some backstory, just kind of set up 1 Samuel 7 um, before we get into it, okay? Are you guys, are you with me? Okay, all right. And like I said before, I I need to say this really quickly. I I am going to give you a lot of information today. And it is okay if you don't catch it the first time. I am going to ask you that you would go back and maybe listen to it again two or three times because this is so important. It really, really is important. This has been a life-changing uh, revelation that God has given me. So let me give you the backstory here. We're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant, which is a, it's a gold-plated, gold-plated wooden chest that held the Ten Commandments. This is also where the presence of God resided. Okay, we're going to be talking about Samuel He was raised in the house of God to be a prophet and a judge to Israel. 
We're going to be talking about the Philistines, which are basically the arch enemy of the Israelites. They were always fighting. And of course, the Israelites are God's people in the Old Testament. So we're going to be reading chapter 7, but I'm going to go back to chapter 4 and just kind of set the stage a little bit, okay? In chapter 4, the Philistines and the Israelites, they're fighting again, and the, the Israelites, they're losing, and they're panicking a little bit, and they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? So they're like, I know, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant, that holy thing, and let's actually bring it out to the battlefield as our little good luck charm, and that's going to help us defeat the Philistines. Now, they did that, They didn't repent of their idol worship. They didn't repent of their sin. They just wanted God to help them in their time of need. That sounds so familiar, doesn't it? And wouldn't you know it, they were defeated by the Philistines. And not only that, but their ark was captured. The ark of the covenant was captured by the Philistines, and the Philistines took it, and they had it for a season. Now... Philistines didn't keep it for very long because they were stricken with tumors and King James Version says emrods or hemorrhoids is what they got. And they're like, we don't want this thing. And they actually like sent it back. Okay. So they're like, we're done. And so here we are, we're in chapter seven where the Philistines have now returned the ark back to the Israelites. And they're all up in their fields about that. They're like, woo, the ark has come back. So they're getting excited that their ark has been returned. So here we are. And where am I? Okay. So this is 1 Samuel 7, starting in verse 3. We're going to go to 6. So, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mitzpah. Say Mitzpah, because that's important. And I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzpah, Mitzpah, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. All right, so we're going to push pause. Um, After that, Samuel ended up uh, offering up a burnt offering to the Lord. So remember that this chapter was direction for me. It was a word for me. And so when I looked at it and it, it was saying, repent of your idols, I was thinking, I have idols? I didn't know I had idols. I didn't think I had idols. But the Lord was showing me that I did, that I needed to repent of my idols. And I was like, okay, so I will do that. So then I started taking note of what they did, and I understood that I was supposed to follow these same directions. So I looked up the word mitzvah, say mitzvah, and it means uh, watchtower, or to look out, or to examine. And I thought, oh, that's clever, Lord. You want me to examine myself. Everybody say examine. Okay, so I took note. I was like, okay. They drew, so the next thing that they did, they drew water to pour it out. Now, this symbolized the, them committing to pouring out their lives for the Lord. It's like, okay. They fasted. They repented. They offered a sacrifice. So I began to implement all those things. And we're actually going to come back to all these directions at the end. But we're going to keep going in the story. <clears throat> we're going to skip down to verse 10. 
So as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Amen. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I'm talking about. I want the Lord to thunder on my behalf, and I want him to defeat my enemies. Yes, Jesus, I'll take that promise. That's mine. I was like, I was getting excited, okay, as I was reading. So skip down to verse 12. Maybe. That needs to go. Oh, don't do it again. Okay. All right. So then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Did I say Ebenezer? For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And no, we're not talking about Scrooge. Um, Something else. So they set up a stone of remembrance so they wouldn't forget what God had done for them. And this was probably my first real takeaway where I was like, oh, okay, I need to stop ruminating and playing over and over in my mind all the negative things I probably need to begin to make a list of really positive things that the Lord has done for me. I also did this with individuals, people that I was really critical of and really upset about or disappointed in, and I made a list of positive things, why, what I love about these things, and who the Lord says that that they are. So I began to do that. And then... In four, skip down to 14. So the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So I wanted my cities restored. Cities restored. I wanted my territory delivered, right? I wanted peace. I wanted all those things. So I began to go hard after the idols in my life. And I began to follow the directions that were laid out here in 1 Samuel 7. Okay, so how many of you, you want your Philistine defeated, right? There's an enemy in your life, right? You want your cities restored. You want your uh, territories delivered. Yes. You want uh, peace. Yes. You want the Lord to thunder on your behalf. Yes, and amen. We all want that, and I wanted it too. And spoiler alert, in this journey, I got so much more than what I thought I was going after, but we'll get into that in a minute. So we must repent of our idols and turn to the Lord in him only. Amen? All right, so let's go to mitzpah. Everybody say mitzpah. Mitzpah. All right, we're going to examine ourselves. And the first step in examining ourselves is that we need to understand a little bit about our mind and our brain and how we become vulnerable to idol worship, okay? So fear, stress, trauma, and pain that have not been properly dealt with put us in a part of our brain to make us vulnerable to idol worship. And I'm going to explain this. Idol worship is almost always rooted in fear, And it's fear that we didn't know how to bring to the Lord for him to heal. We either didn't know how or maybe we just didn't want to. So 
I'm including this part um, for those who have maybe been stuck in sin or in idol worship and you've desperately wanted freedom, but you haven't known how to get out of it. I'm going to kind of lay out what is going on physically and chemically and give some tips on how to actually change your brain chemistry. Are you guys good with that? All right. So, so we're going to talk about something called the polyvagal theory and the vagus nerve. Okay. Polyvagal theory and the vagus nerve. Okay. So um, don't get caught on that and don't, don't tune out. Okay. I'm going to make it, I'm going to simplify it as much as I can simplify it. I just want to give credit to the theory. It was fathered by Stephen Porges. So if you want to go on a rabbit trail with that, you can do that. But way layman's terms, okay, this has to do with your brain's perception of danger or safety in the environment, okay? And your vagus nerve is your mind-body connection. And so basically, you know when you feel butterflies in your stomach when you're nervous? Okay, that is your vagus nerve's response. It is you're thinking a thought or your brain is perceiving an environment and your body is responding to that, okay? And that is because of the vagus nerve and lots of other things, but I'm, again, I'm simplifying this way down. So, let me see where I am. Okay, so there are three states of being, okay, of our vagus nerve that have different functions, Okay. So we're going to talk about our social engagement state first. This occurs when the environment feels safe to experience joy and peace. It's safe to engage in relationships, and it's safe to take risks. God created us to be in this state most of the time. This is where we enjoy him, where we enjoy relationships around us serotonin and dopamine and oxytocins and endorphins are in good supply. That's all of our feel-good chemicals. God created us this way to have all of those things. So that's our social engagement state, okay? The next state of being is our fight-or-flight state. And this occurs when the environment feels threatening. It's a survival skill, okay? And, and Eric touched on this last week. Adrenaline and cortisol release to give us a boost in our physical body to get out of danger. So temporarily, very useful if you're being chased by a bear, okay? We can either fight it or we can run from it, right? Okay, very, very useful. This is a survival skill that God gave us, okay? Now, long-term, this is not so good, okay? Prolonged stress, pain, and trauma can get us stuck here for long term, and that sabotages all those feel-good chemicals, okay? Uh, it produces more and more adrenaline and cortisol, and it leaves us anxious, irritable, jumpy, grumpy, angry, and bitter. That's a lot of fun, isn't it? Anyway, and again, long term, this is harmful to our body. So we don't want to be here for prolonged periods of time. So the next state of being would be our freezer fawn state. This is the other survival skill that occurs when the environment feels threatening, but the fight-or-flight state is no longer appropriate or isn't appropriate for the situation. So, temp again, temporarily very useful if we decide to hide from the bear, right? We're going to remain still until the perceived threat is gone. Now, 
We can go into the freeze or fawn state when we've been in fight or flight too long and the environment still feels threatening. So if you're running from the bear from a really, for a really, really long time, all of a sudden your body's like, we can't go anymore. We're going to have to do something else. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to hide then. And, um, but this is true in long term. So let me, let me talk about this for long term. If you're in fight or flight for too long in, in, your, in your everyday life, your body will eventually decide, I can't do this anymore. I can't run like this anymore. I can't keep producing all these chemicals anymore. I can't keep producing, running on adrenaline all the time. And you'll go into that shutdown state. It's called the dorsal state, the freezer fawn state. And when we get stuck in this shutdown state for long term, it brings depression, oversleeping, lack of motivation, apathy, the fawn is that the, the state that you're in when you're catering to everyone else's needs, driven to keep the peace at all costs, even though it's not true peace. It's a false sense of peace, but we'll do it just to maintain that homeostasis, right? We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So from this point on, when I'm talking about the fight or flight or the freeze or fawn, I'm going to be calling it the chronic stress state or your stress states, just so you guys know. And I'm not going to be, be referring to the beneficial short-term um, state. I'm talking about when we get stuck here, okay? So here's what I want you to do is I want you to take, because there might be, are we getting some aha moments here? Some aha moments? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to talk to your neighbor or write it down, and I want you to go, oh, this is when I, I understand. I was in fight or flight during this period of my life, or oh, that makes so much sense. There was this part of my life when I was in my freezer fawn state. Okay, 30 seconds, go. Talk to your neighbor or write it down. <laughs> All right, I didn't time us, but we're done. Okay, <laughs> we got to move on. Okay, but I did that I did that little pause just so that we could kind of, as we retain that information, we're going to shift into something else. I just had to give a little backstory, okay? Um, so when we're stuck in the two chronic stress states and probably vacillating in and out of the two, right? We're in our fight or flight. We're stressed out, stressed out, angry, bitter, mad, and then we want to like escape into shutdown, depression, sleep all the time. We go back and forth, right? We're vacillating in between the two. But here's the thing is that when we're in that chronic stress state, we want to feel better so badly. Like, like something deep inside us knows that we need to get out of that part of the brain. Even when we don't understand what's actually going on, we know, I don't want to be here anymore. This is awful. This is just, I, I don't like, this is misery. Because we are wired by God to be at peace and to be in connection with him and with other people. That's how we're wired. And when we're not in that place, it feels awful. It's not right. We know we need to get out of it. We want to escape. We want to run from it. We can't stand it. And we're willing to do just about anything to feel better, right? 
We were, yes, that is where our idols come in. We were not designed to spend long term in a stressed torment like that. It is not how God designed us. He did design us with some really awesome chemicals that will help us to get out of our stress states. Chemically, to get out of stress states, we need serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins. He wired us this way. He has a plan for how to produce those in a good and healthy way. When, listen, Christian principles themselves are a way to keep your brain and your body healthy. It is so good for us to spend time in the word of God. It's actually good for us. And, and which is just such a, a concept, I don't know, because I don't want to get into an irreverent thing where I'm like, oh, well, let's just worship God to feel better because that's not it. You worship God because he is worthy of our worship. 100% he is worthy of our worship, whether it makes us feel good or not. But this is the beauty of our God is that he created us that when we obey him, it's good for us. It is healthy for us. When we follow his his direction, when we forgive quickly, when we meditate on good and lovely things, when we um, spend time with him, when we worship him, it is healthy for us. That's how good he is. That is how absolutely good he is. And I, I just love that. But because we don't maybe understand that or we don't know that, whatever it is, but when we're stuck back in this, the deep recesses of our mind is how I feel it. Because I'm always, I can tell when I'm in there because I'm like, ugh, you know. When we're stuck there, we get seduced into idol worship because we just want, we want that dopamine hit, right? We want the oxytocin rush. We want the um, endorphins. We want something because we just need to feel better. We just want to feel better. And the idols temporarily make us feel better until the shame or the guilt or the regret sets in. And we never really deal with the the pain or the fear or the stress that got us there in the first place, right? And that that is not following his design for how that we deal with our stuff right? So the big idea that I'm trying to get here by sharing all of this information is that if we don't tend to our soul and if we don't deal with our stress, our pain, our trauma, our disappointments, it sets us up to be vulnerable to sin and to idols. Okay, now we're going to get into what are idols today, okay? So I am going to teach you about kind of what God did in me. This is not an exhaustive list of all the idols for today. I don't think we have time for that. I am just going to hit the idols that God was dealing with me on. There's, there's three categories that I felt like the Lord really showed me as I was going through this. And um, so what I want you to do is I'm kind of, as I am processing with you all the, all the things that the Lord brought me through, I want you to be listening to the Holy Spirit for maybe the idols that you've been bowing down to, because yours probably aren't the same as mine. They might be, but they may not be, okay? So just be listening for that. 
So there are three categories that I discovered that, that God was showing me. Um, self-indulgence, self-image, and self-protection. And they had a great hold on me. So for each category, we're going to be discussing the fears or the, the contributing fears that kind of like... Um, that contribute to um, these, this idol worship. We're going to talk about what the behaviors look like. We're going to talk about the dangers. And then we're going to talk about how Jesus dealt with the same type of temptation. So let's start with, are you guys still with me? Yeah. All right, let's start with the idol of self-indulgence. Okay, this comes from, typically comes from, the fear of not having our needs of comfort and joy met. It is a longing of every human being to experience comfort and joy, to experience peace, to have a sense of well-being. That is a desire in all of us, and God put, us, put it there. But sometimes when we have a history of emotional or physical neglect, or we suffer a great loss, whether it's a material loss or a, um, a relational loss, it can contribute to the void or the vacuum of comfort in our hearts. It can create that void. When you add in the present day of work stress or family stress, right, we can get stuck in those stress parts of our brain and there becomes a deep need to feel comfort and joy. We get overwhelmed, we have a lack of motivation, and we begin to demand ease, comfort, we want no pain right? So we go looking for that dopamine hit to temporarily feel better. And so in response to the fear of not having our needs of comfort, comfort and joy met, we end up taking it or we treat ourselves to certain things to feel better or de-stress. We don't know how to tell ourselves no. So maybe we get a, give in to like shopping or overspending, overeating, Netflix binging, Facebook addiction, right? Things like that. And I want to make clear, these things aren't always bad, okay? You have to look at the motive behind the amount of time that you spend or the reason why you do it, okay? Sometimes it's just habit or it's just, you know, it's just something that we, we, we don't know why we do it, but it's because it's, it's the... I had to remove the Facebook app off of my phone because my brain automatically reached for my phone to check Facebook, and I wasn't even thinking about it. I didn't make a conscious choice to do it, but there, something happened in my brain where I was like, ooh, I need to de-stress, Psh, Facebook, right? And so I had to just delete it off my phone because I, it's the access was... I. There was too much access. I actually had to fast Facebook for like two months. And then finally I was able to get back on it. But the Lord is like, nope, I'm going to make it difficult for you to get on it. You're going to have to actually go to your computer to get on it or download the app onto your phone and make a purposeful choice to get on Facebook. Anyway, that's that. Um, but another form of this idle and self-indulgence that we can fall into as well you may fall into all-out sin. You know, that's in this category of self-indulgence. And that's with the, um, you know, pornography, alcohol, drugs, sexual sin, things like that. That is 
lots of temporary endorphins happening here, okay? And this also brings lots of shame after, right? It keeps you in that cycle, makes it worse. Sin actually wounds your soul. And then here's another uh, behavior of um, the self-indulgence is being too busy to read our Bible or to spend time with God. If you have time to get on Facebook, you have time to read your Bible. If you have time to listen to a Taylor Swift song, you have time to worship God. Amen? It is, it's an excuse. And, um, and if we say that we don't have time to get into the word, I think there's actually, time is not the issue. That's a lie. There's something else. Something else is the issue. Yeah. It's an idol or it's a fear. Maybe you don't enjoy spending time with God because your understanding of God is not the correct understanding of God. Maybe you think he doesn't enjoy spending time with you. Maybe you think he's mad at you. All those things. So that's a whole other, whole other message. But this is the danger of the self-indulgence, is that these things will never satisfy. Ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever. God wired you so that these things will never satisfy. That's how he wired us. So we will search and we will search and we will be left completely dry. And in our search, we will sin against the people that we love, right? We'll spend money we shouldn't. We'll neglect relationships, and we'll sin against our own body. And Jesus said that he is the living water from which, if you drink of him, you will never be thirsty. And this is the insanity of it, because if this is your idol, you're bowing down to the God of comfort, or the false God of comfort, instead of the Holy Spirit, who is named the comforter. So Jesus was tempted by Satan to worship a similar idol. Turn this stone into bread. Meet your flesh needs. You have to be hungry, right? Satan said that. And his answer was, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So basically, tell yourself no and start reading your word. Amen? Your false idols will not bring you what you need. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God will. All right, so we're going to move quickly. The idol of self-image or false identity. And this one, mm, this one had a hold on me. So this one comes from the fear of being unworthy or not valuable. It comes from rejection or abandonment. Unresolved pain, always. Possibly the lack of encouragement or the presence of discouragement or criticism can also contribute to um, this stronghold in our, in our mind and in our thinking. And this can be past or present. Many contributing factors lead to this thing of, of just trying to feel valuable. We desperately need to feel valuable because we were created by God for love and connection and to feel his love and to feel his value for us. When we follow God's design for us and we allow him to love us and to to pour his love out on us, this gets filled. But it's when we, we have these deficits and we have these, um, 
beliefs and and the fears and we don't bring them to the Lord and we leave it so void is when we try to just go fill it with these other things. So in response to the fear and the unresolved pain, we look outside of God. I look to you and I go, will you tell me I'm valuable? Right? It's, it became, for me, it became very important to manage other people's perceptions of me. And it was this thing of I was going to work really hard at projecting an image that looks valuable so that you'll say I'm valuable so that I can feel valuable. I was giving you all my power, all the power to say whether or not I was valuable or not. And you, I mean generalized you. You know what I'm saying, people. but we can look for value from the career that we have, the grades that we get, the sports or the talents that we have. I haven't even touched body image, and I'm not even going to go there, but it falls under that as well. We just seek out kingdoms to reign in so that we can earn our worth, prove our worth. And if our value comes from anything other than God, it will always be changing. It will always be changing. We are running after a constantly moving target, believing we are only as valuable as our last great success. We'll spend time and money and energy just chasing, performing our way into value, ruining our health and relationships along the way. And if this is your idol, you're bowing down to a graven image of yourself that you're trying to create to get others to bow down to instead of letting the potter mold you and define you. So Jesus was tempted in a similar way. Come be king of all these things, right? I'll give you all this power and influence and you'll have status and you're going to be worshipped. And how did Jesus respond? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I want you to think about this for just a minute. Why would God want us to serve him and him alone? Ponder it. Talk to your neighbor. You have 15 seconds. Why? Why would God want you to serve him and him alone? Tell your neighbor. Because sometimes we're tempted to think that God wants us to worship him and him alone, maybe because he's, he's egotistical, just wants it to be all about him, right? But could it be because he so deeply loves us and he knows how dangerous and destructive idols are? Could it be because he knows how fruitful and how satisfying and how glorious it is when we follow his design for us and when we worship him and him only, when we are committed to him and him only? Could it be because he's the only one who will truly satisfy us since he is the one who created us? All right, let's hit self-protection. Because this one, 
This one I'm still working on. <clears throat> so the idols of self-protection typically come from fears. Again, the fear of abandonment, past trauma and pain usually comes from a time when we have felt powerless and broken. We believe we're not safe. We don't believe that God or people will keep us safe. So we must protect ourselves. And we end up falling into these various forms of control. For me, um, financial stress is, is the thing that puts me in self-protection faster than anything else. You got, I think women are that way. When you, Yeah, financial trials, you're like, you, know, you just freeze up. It's a thing. But again, that's going against how he wired us. When we fall into that fear, we're wired by him to feel safe in his presence. We're wired to be in connection with people. But self-protection causes us with, to withdraw from people. So sometimes we can have a mistrust in God and believe that he's not going to protect us. And, and we may question that his ways are good and right. If God's so good, then why did these things happen to you? But here's some of the behaviors. So the mission is protect yourself at all costs. The goal is survival, and control becomes the main objective. So sometimes self-protection means maintain homeostasis at all costs. Right? We fawn to others' expectations or demands. Just try to keep the peace. We talked about this. It's not true peace. We withhold information to avoid punishment. We don't maintain good or appropriate boundaries for ourselves. We become a rescuer or we isolate. Now, other times self-protection means regain the power that was lost. That's it. Let's go. Because forget the oxytocin and the feel-goods. At this point, we're like, no, I don't need connection. I need power. <laughs> Give me the adrenaline. I need it all because I'm coming at you, right? We got anger, bitterness, resentment, punishment. You're never going to treat me that way again. Defensiveness, blame-shifting, deflecting. It's a little more subtle, right? Offense. Choosing to assume the worst in people, make up stories in your head, pride. You're an idiot. How many of you guys have ever thought that? They're an idiot. Pride. Demanding to be understood is another form of punishment. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Everybody has a need to feel understood. It's when we demand it. Like, no, you're going to hear me. That was like one of my worst ones. Accusation and gossip. Doesn't it feel so powerful to retell the situation with your spin on it, making you the good guy and them the bad guy? That feels so good. Was it just me? Okay. All right. 
And then we've got rumination, and I have starred rumination. Do you guys know what rumination is? It's when you're replaying a situation over and over and over and over and over and over and over in your mind. Just checking to see, yeah, I'm still right. <laughs> yep, I was still the right one in that situation, right? Well, let me tell you about rumination is that it is horrible for you. Like if you don't stop doing anything else, I need you to stop ruminating. Because did you know that your brain doesn't know the difference between whether you experience something, I keep hitting this and I'm really sorry, I'm so handsy. Okay, whether you experience something or whether you think about something, your brain doesn't know the difference. It releases the same yucky chemicals whether you are experiencing it or just replaying it in your mind. You're re-traumatizing yourself every time you replay it. So stop it. Yes, bring every thought captive. Amen. All right, so the dangers is that this is exactly the opposite of what we're seeking, of what we were designed for. Self-protection doesn't protect you. It, It doesn't protect you. It's not working. It's insanity. The result is disconnection, disunity, and dysfunction. So for me, it, like I remember at the darkest part of my self-protection, I mean, I literally, I had fortresses, okay? I was like, I was like, you're not getting in. And I remember I felt like I was like in this cold, dark prison cell, like alone. And just, it was like, like I could hear the drip of the, some faucet. You know what I'm saying? It was cold and wet and awful. That was what it was like in my mind. And that's because this type of behavior creates zero feel-good chemicals for you, okay? You're, you're just stuck in the wrong place for so long. And I absolutely love it that God designed us to be miserable when we're in sin. Bitterness is sin, And if you sit in it, you will be in a prison cell. And it's miserable. And we were designed for bitterness to be miserable. It's not part of his plan. And it's not punishment. It's just, that's, that's just how our brain is. It is not good for us to be bitter. So Jesus was tempted in a similar way. Not to be mean to people, but he was tempted to question God's protection. Throw yourself down from there. Will God protect you? He says his angels will stop you. Are you going to challenge that? And his response, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He refused to question God's goodness. He refused to question his protection. He knew better. He knew the Father's heart towards him. And free will creates a fallen world where other people's sin can hurt us tremendously. And that can tempt us to look at at God and question his ways. And he can handle those questions, okay? So don't hear me say you you can't bring these questions to the Lord because you can. You do. You should bring these questions to the Lord. And allow his truth to renew your mind. 
but it's when we ruminate and we blame God for all of our hardships. And that does nothing but wound your soul more than it was already wounded. Because he's the only one that can heal us from the pain that we've gone through. Because here's the thing, because when I was in that dark place and I was in that dark prison and he's like, you have got to let go of this stuff. I'm saying to the Lord, but Lord, what if I'm hurt again? What if I'm hurt again? And he said, I can't guarantee that people won't hurt you. He said, but I promise you that I will heal you from any hurt that's ever imposed upon you. I will heal you from it. I won't let you go through something that I won't heal you from. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I wanted to be like, but how about if I just don't get hurt at all? <laughs> I'm not going to question you, Lord. Okay, I trust you. That's, a, that's good. Perfect love casts out fear. Amen? So will you let his perfect love cast out fear? All right, so are you ready to cast out, to get rid of? I keep doing that. Are you ready to get rid of these things? Amen? You guys want to get rid of these idols that are in our life? Stop bowing down to these things. Okay, we're going to go a few minutes over, but I'm going to plow through. We're almost done. I promise you we're almost done. Romans 6, 6, and 11 and 12 in the Passion Translation. This is such good encouragement. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? The former identity of the idol worship, the former identity of falling into these stress patterns and not knowing how to bring them to the Lord, that's all our fallen identity. It is forever deprived of its power. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the strongholds of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Sin is a dethroned monarch. Amen to that. Guys, listen, we are dead to these behaviors. We died with Christ. We were resurrected with him. We have resurrection power within us. We do. All right, so we are going to get rid of these idols. Amen. We're going to follow the patterns of what God gave us in 1 Samuel 7. Okay, are you ready for this? I want you to take pictures of this because this is part of what we're going to do this week and next week. Again, I have been actively doing these directions for like four months now, and I'm still finding idols. Okay, so this is not a one-done thing, okay? And this information might be um, kind of overwhelming right here at first, but just start somewhere. Okay, so the first thing that happened in 1 Samuel 7 is that the Ark of the Covenant was returned at the beginning of chapter 7. So we are now the Ark, okay? The Holy Spirit resides in us. So we need to acknowledge his constant presence in us. And we need to decide that we are going to serve him and him only. And it's worth mentioning 
that when the Philistines um, took the ark, and they actually stored it with their um, idol, Dagon, and then everybody ended up with their hemorrhoids, right? <clears throat> so I'm just, I'm just, I just want to bring that up as we're thinking about like the Holy Spirit and idols being together that we just might want to, it just might be a little extra motivation for us. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So the next thing they did is they fasted. I want us to fast possible idols. I want you to go on a negativity fast or an anger fast or an offense fast or a spending social media fast, a sugar fast. Choose one. Choose the one that you know is the thing that you turn to that might possibly be your idol. Because here's the thing. Just watch yourself. If you flop like a fish out of water because you've taken it away, you know it's your idol, right? Okay. Next thing they did is they poured out their lives like water. I am asking us to commit to daily time with the Lord and in the word. And if you haven't signed up for Brett and Paige's class yet, do that right after. Can they still sign up? Okay. Yes. Because this is the thing. Time with the Lord, it is, it is what you, it is, it is, uh, he's so good, you guys, he's so good, it's so enjoyable to spend time with him. He created us for this, this is what we're supposed to do, he created us for this. Okay, this week's reading is Luke chapter 15 and 16 and memorize Philippians 2.4. So make sure you get that as well. So that's what you're going to do this week as well. As we pour our lives out like water, we're going to commit daily to him. So the next thing that they did is they put up an Ebenezer. They stacked a stone of remembrance. I want you to make a list of your wins and your testimonies. And if it has to be for a specific person like I did, I want you to do that as well. But you are going to begin, you're going to quit ruminating on all the negative, and you are going to begin meditating on all the positive. Amen? Amen. Okay. And here's what's going to happen is that as you begin to do that, your desire for the idols is going to decrease because you're actually changing your brain chemistry because you are meditating on the things that the Lord wants you to. You're giving your brain what it needs and not what it doesn't need, but you think it needs. Does that make sense? Okay, so then the last thing that they did is they went to mitzvah. I want us to examine ourselves and ask the Lord to show you your idols. What am I turning to to get my feel goods? Ask yourself what fear or wound or pain or emotion is this helping me avoid? And if you can't figure it out on your own, sign up for emotional healing through our website. There, will, there are people who will pray with you and who will help you figure this out. Or ask your spouse, what do you think my idols are? <laughs> oh, I know that's so risky, isn't it? <laughs> Woo. If you really want to get free, ask. Okay. All right. So then the last thing is they repented. They confessed their sin. So we're going to confess our sin so that we may be healed. We're going to confess it before the Lord, break, it, break agreement with it, break its power over us, and then we're just going to sit in his perfect love and let it cast out fear. Amen.